Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording nowhere near the Valley of the Sun under the umbrella of Hardwater One. And today we continue the mission, as always, to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with just me. That's right. Today I'm going to be soloing and sharing some information with you guys from my past and from some of my recent experiences here in the wilds of Canada. I'm currently sitting in the parking lot of a Denny's. I don't have access to fantastic mics or the studio or all the rest of the stuff that I normally have the opportunity to record with. And that's okay. That's the way it should be. We have an opportunity to convey information And it doesn't always have to look a certain way. And that's the beauty of podcasting. And that's one of the reasons that I love it. And the thing here is it's important to follow through whenever we have a goal that we want to set for ourselves in such a manner that we do it regularly and that we refuse to break the chain. And that's basically what I'm doing here with you guys today. I don't want to break the chain. I want to make sure that I have an episode out. And not only that, I want to make sure that it it still speaks in a valuable way to the people who care to listen. So today I want to share with you guys some information and some lessons that I picked up from the Spartan race or or Spartan racing in general, I should say. And I'll start by just going back to a little bit about myself and how I actually got into this stuff. Because to be quite honest with you guys, I've never considered myself much of a runner. I've never really considered myself much of a hiker either. And Spartan racing basically is just combining those two things and throwing in the jungle gym elements from childhood. So earlier this year, I had the opportunity, actually, I was inspired to take advantage of an opportunity by a gentleman at my CrossFit gym, CrossFit North Phoenix. Shout out to CJ Vanderlip. CJ jumped in on the Spartan race game pretty early on. And he, among several other people in the gym, had planned on doing the not the Tahoe Beast, which one was it? Oh, Big Bear. It was Big Bear in California. So the Big Bear race, and it turned out that Big Bear was going to be a Spartan Beast. And the Beast is 13 plus miles and around, I think it's what, 30 obstacles, 25, 30 obstacles, something like that. But the vast majority of it is going to be just traveling, right? So you're traveling through the mountains. And to be honest with you guys, when I was first exposed to the idea of doing a Spartan race, I kind of looked at it like it was total bullshit. I just looked down on it. I looked at it like, what's the big deal? You're just hiking through the hills. You know, I've been crossfitting for 10 years. You know, how hard can it be kind of a thing. I had this really sort of elitist, arrogant attitude about it. And as I would come to find out, that was completely unwarranted because the reality is I didn't know anything about the sport. I didn't know anything about OCR. I didn't know anything about what it was becoming. And I sure as hell didn't know enough to cast doubt or opinions or have an opinion about the sport in and of itself. And so this was that lesser part of me basically throwing judgment and casting shade on something that I hadn't experienced myself. So in seeing these guys and their excitement around creating this you know, this experience about doing the beast, I said, well, sure, I'll jump on, I'll do it. You know, I went out there basically untrained. My nutrition was off. My sleep was off. I actually didn't sleep at all the night before because I came in late. And then we had rented a house. And of course, being there last meant I got relegated to the public area, the couch. And of course, it was noisy and people were up and walking around. I wasn't able to sleep during that. And so the reality was, 
I got little sleep after a long drive, poor nutrition, and we're going into this race the following morning, and it's fairly cold outside. So I had a late start time, which was, which was my next mistake. The late start time made sure that even if I needed to go slow to finish, which it turned out I would, that I wouldn't be able to. And as it happened at this particular race, because the conditions were so bad on the mountain, they set a time cap uh, for my group when it started. And if you didn't meet that time cap, they were going to pull you off at a certain time. And I think it was, I want to say 5.30. And if you didn't hit that checkpoint by 5.30, then you get pulled off the mountain. So, you know, I come up there, you know, attitude in hand, not really knowing to it, not really knowing at all what to expect, but expecting to finish the race because I've seen so many other people finish the race. And I get through the starting line, we get, we get going. And I soon realized that this was not going to be a pleasant experience. I was basically traversing hill and dale, basically up and down, up and down, up and down with long ups and long downs over the course of the entire race. And my body simply was not prepared for it. The first thing that started to fall apart were my knees. And so on the sections that were basically opportunities to speed up and go faster, my knees were falling apart. I literally was having so much pain that I was having to either walk sideways or backwards at points just to go down the hills. And so by the time I got to the checkpoints on the top of the mountain, I missed the first checkpoint by three minutes and they pulled me off the hill. So my first experience was being completely unprepared, going out there uh, with the mindset of I already knew that this was going to be something that I could finish, overconfidence, even arrogance in a way, not really considering it to be something that would be a, a great challenge. And of course, all of these things set me up for a massive, massive failure. And the beautiful thing about this was that it put me in a place where I had to put myself in check. I all of a sudden had to rid myself of this shitty mindset that I had around the sport of OCR, which at that time I didn't consider a sport. Now, having experienced it, having been in and around the culture and understanding a little bit more about it, I see the validity of it and I see why it's gaining in popularity. And I have a vast and tremendous amount of respect for these guys who can run literally up and down mountains and clip at, you know, 10, 12 minute miles on, you know, 30, 40, 50 degree inclines, which is absolutely insane in some places. And so when you couple all this together and you look at what actually took place, I had no chance really of finishing with the start being with, with choosing an afternoon start, which was a bad idea. And then them imposing the, uh, the time cap due to weather, man, there was, I had really crippled myself because I hadn't trained properly for the elevation. I hadn't trained properly for the inclines. And so there was really no way, um, physically I was going to be able to do the work. And that's just all it was. I mean, that's, as, that's, that's really what it came down to. There was just no physical way I was going to make it a reality. And because of that, because of that failure, and because I had to, you know, turn in my timing chip early and I had to take the ski lift down the mountain with everyone else who got time capped out, you know, I immediately decided at that point that I was going to do as many races as possible for the rest of the year. And not only would I do a beast, um, I was going to get multiple trifectas, which is where you run 
their short, medium, and long, their uh, sprint, super, their beast, uh, where you do three of those, where you do all three of those races in the course of one calendar year. A lot of people, you know, recreationally try to get a trifecta in uh, at least once. Here, here it was for me. I was going into the second half of the year, and I decided I want to get three in the last six months of the year. So that obviously meant that I had to sign up for a lot more races and commit to spending a lot more money and time and training and also preparing myself and humbling myself and listening to people who are much better than me. So, you know, some of the people at the gym have been valuable resources. Um, and a lot of the people who are really fantastic at the sport have been very kind and generous with their information and their time to help me along my way. So with that said, that sort of brings me as to why I'm here in Canada in the first place. There were two races going on in Whistler, which is about an hour and a half from Vancouver out on the West Coast. And if you've been through that area of Whistler, you have, you know, really jagged rocky mountains and peaks. The weather changes on a dime. And it just so happened that when the plane broke through the clouds on this particular trip to land in the Vancouver airport, it started raining on the plane it rained on us the entire glide in and down to the gate, and then it rained on us for three solid days with no breaks. So that following day, after getting in uh, to Vancouver, we actually got in late because the plane was delayed. We had to switch planes. So I got to the hotel room late again. So my mind started to worry and wonder about the fact that, you know, hey, uh, last time you didn't get a lot of sleep. You need to get a lot of sleep. This is going to be a tough mountain race. You need to make sure you're prepared. I was fortunate to get enough around, you know, seven hours or so, which is pretty good for me. I got seven hours. I was able to hit the starting line for the Spartan 10K trail. So You've got your, basically you've got your sprint, your super, and your beast, which are your short, medium, long range uh, courses. And these courses all bear obstacles. Then you have strict running races, which are the trail races. So the, the first race was a 10K. I'd never run a 10K before, and I'd never done a Spartan 10K before. And I'd certainly never run a 10K in the mountains over a very steep, rocky terrain. So when you throw in the elements, the weather, the fog, the freezing cold, and the fact that there was, you know, a little bit of difficulty getting there in the first place in terms of the plane being delayed, getting the sleep the night before, obviously nutrition is going to be off. You know, I was approaching that starting line with the mindset of, you know, I'm going to have to really focus on, you know, staying in myself, within myself, and not allowing my mind to run wild with stories so that when it did get tough toward the top, that I would continue to go. And, uh, and fortunately for me, I was fresh enough to where after we got that first three-mile climb in up the hill, which is basically what the first half of the race was, the three and a half miles coming down actually went pretty well. I knew once we had crested that coming down, I was going to be in a lot better shape to take that descent because I'd been working on the knee strength. I'd been working on the knee pain and had been dealing with practicing the runs down the hill, which is a great opportunity to make up time. So coming down actually went really well. And I finished that race, um, you know, in, in a better time than I thought I would. Got that medal and then 
went back to the hotel room, actually pounded some food, went back to the hotel room and then started to, you know, just get my mindset for the next day, get my mindset for the next race. And this is the one that I was worried about. The trail, not so much. The trail I wanted to do simply because it was a different type of metal. It was a different type of finish. And what I and when I committed to doing the races, I committed to doing every single race that they put forth, from the trails to the obstacle to the hurricane heats to the agoji, all of the different races that they do, um, I committed to doing. So this was part of the plan of adding yet another medal to the collection of races to fulfill the obligation and the commitment of creating, uh, you know, a collection of medals from every single race or finishes from every single race. So having that done, feeling good about that, I was able to get a little bit more sleep the night before. I was able to get some good nutrition in and we got the weather report in. The weather was going to be worse. So it was going to be a little bit colder. It was going to be a, a lot wetter. We got you know, we were expecting to get pounded that afternoon. And, uh, of course in those mountains that meant a lot colder temperatures and probably lower uh, visibility. So the following day, my body was pretty ripped apart and going into that Sunday race for the super, which is 13 K or eight miles, depending on your preference there. I was a bit worried. My calves were really sore from the climb on the first day, and my body really wasn't accustomed to the conditions. So with the with the cold, with the wet, I, you know, and not really experiencing much of that coming from Arizona, you know, I wasn't really sure how my body would respond. So on the way up the hill to the mountain, I had about a 30-minute drive to get there. I just started in the car. I started running through my head all the different scenarios of all the different ways I could fail, all the different ways that my mind would start, you know, fucking with me on the mountain. You know, you're cold, you know, your you know, your body is sore, you know, your back hurts, you don't have the right clothes, you know, it's slippery out here, it's foggy, you can't really see anything, you know, you don't know where the next aid station's gonna be, you know, you don't have any support, you're here by yourself. All of these different stories were going through my head about the different ways Ways that, you know, I could basically fail. And so what I was doing as I was running through these stories was I was giving myself the opportunity to overcome each one, overcome each objection um, and prepare myself so that by the time I got to the hill and we started the race, that I had already decided what I was going to do when those moments hit, you know, when it got hard, when it got difficult. And so sure enough, we got there. Uh, I got there late, which is no big deal because the last, I think the last heat went off at noon. I was supposed to go off at 930, but I took a little bit of extra time to sleep and um, recover and recover and get some good food. And so I started, I think at 1130-ish, 1145-ish. I don't remember exactly. So once the race started again, the same sort of a thing all the way up the hill to start is generally how it goes. And, you know, obviously I was digging deep body is sore, calves are sore, everything, you know, knee-wise, shin-wise is, is in quite a bit of pain. But we're going up the hill. The cold isn't too bad. The wet isn't too bad. And uh, we start going uh, deeper and deeper into the woods and then deeper and deeper uh, or farther and farther, I should say, up the slopes. And as we climb those slopes, uh, it starts to get really foggy and really dense with moisture. So the visibility dropped down to only about maybe 
20 feet or so uh, in the open areas. And so it was the type of thing where, you know, it was like out of a movie where you'd see, you know, like figures emerging through the fog, you know, other racers sort of figures emerging through the fog. It was really kind of eerie. And you'd see people, you know, stopping and slipping. Uh, the trails were marked, but because the conditions were so poor, a lot of people had opted out. And I think in my heat, you know, normally heats are like uh, no more than 250 people. Um, my heat, there were three of us. So a lot of people had opted out and the trails where would where they would normally be pretty pretty well beaten they were they were still pretty much single track trails and very very dense brush so you're fighting through you know very dense brush in a foggy area and the rain as it's coming down is beating on you but not only that it is basically taking what would be the trail and has and and is forming a little creek like a little river coming down the side of the mountain so where you're stepping uh in this area, it's all rocky and slippery and wet. And that's really your only path due to the fact that, again, the vegetation's so thick that there's really no other place for you to go. So by the time we got to the top of the mountain, I was soaked from head to toe. I was, you know, I had like a nice base layer on and then I had a waterproof jacket or what was supposed to be a waterproof jacket. But the reality is that even though the shell kept the moisture out on the top, you know, sweating through that base layer kept some moisture uh, inside and underneath that outer shell. And it started to to wreak havoc on my temperature. Right. So I was getting a little bit of, of chill, a little bit of cold through that, even though I was still moving and climbing up this hill. And so finally we reached and we crested the top. And I started thinking about all the people that I was climbing the the uh, hill with and looking through all of the different, um, you know, paths and all the different packs of people that were together with me, who had passed me, who I had passed and all the rest of it. And I was remembering some of the stories that were going through my head, right? I was telling you some of these stories that, you know, my mind were going to throw at me, you know, like in dealing with the cold and then having the fortitude to, you know, to keep going, dealing with the fatigue and the soreness and having the fortitude to keep going. Um, But one of the things that was really weird was my mind started throwing like really strange stories at me. And it was so it was it was borrowing from other people's hard stories. Right. So I know some of you guys are probably fans of David Goggins. Uh, David Goggins book is fantastic. I highly recommend you get it, especially the audiobook version. But the audiobook version is awesome because between each chapter, he and his uh, writer and reader of the book, they basically go back and forth with an interview. So they'll give more color around the story that they didn't include in the actual text of the book. So uh, some of the things that he talks about in those stories are the stories that his mind was making up as he was dealing with hard things, right? And how he was, you know, having to overcome those things. And I was thinking about that on the trek up the hill because it was so difficult and the conditions were so harsh. And I was thinking about some of the things that that he was doing. And one of the techniques that he was talking about when he was going through buds was like, you know, he didn't want the instructors to feel like they had something over him. He didn't want the instructors to feel like they were hurting him by making him get in cold water or, you know, run or carry logs or, you know, whatever the case may be, whatever uncomfortable situation they were putting him through. And so he coined this phrase he called taking souls. And so he was doing everything in his power to enjoy 
the suffering that he was experiencing on those beach moments and doing everything in his power to let the instructors know that nothing that they could do could hurt him. And I remember that. And I remembered my mind sort of saying, look, you know, this is miserable. You're out here by yourself. No one cares if you finish this race. No one's even going to know if you finish this race. Just fucking quit. Just fucking go home. It doesn't matter. And then I would hear Goggins' voice kind of creep, creep into my head, right? It's like, you know, it's not going to take my soul. I'm going to take its soul. You know, I'm going to take their soul. I'm going to take this mountain soul. You know, I'm not going to allow this thing to beat me. It's not going to steal from me. I'm going to take from it, right? And that was the mentality. And I borrowed that from him. And it was really cool to be able to take that tool, that little mind game and play it and keep moving, even though it sucked really hard in those moments where you're wet and cold and you're alone on the side of a hill, especially in a, in a situation like this, you know, where you literally are in a foreign country. No one knows your name and no one really cares, you know, what happens to you. No one's got a a bead on you. You know, there's going to be somebody sweeping the trail, you know, after the last heat, but that's about it. You know, you might be out there for a long time if something happens to you. So that was a really cool thing to be able to sort of grasp and just grab onto and and to put to use in that moment. And it's kind of funny because it sounds so childish and juvenile, but you have to realize that what you're combating is childish and juvenile. I mean, there's really no danger. Like it was, excuse me, it was, you know, like 45 degrees, maybe 40 degrees on top of the mountain. There was no danger of freezing to death really. You know, so it's kind of juvenile for your mind to sit there and say, oh, it's too cold out here. You know, this is dangerous or whatever. So to to strike back with something just as juvenile, but at the same time effective in terms of keeping you moving, you know, was really helpful. And it was really comforting to have that in my back pocket. And this is one of the cool things I love about playing with mindset and playing with different sorts of techniques and tools to keep you focused on the task at hand. You know, another thing that was really impactful going up the hill was just focusing on the task at hand. And this is something that applies really heavily in just regular life. You see a lot of times people will just, you know, have a big task at hand. Like, you know, I'm working with a couple of people on putting together an event and it's really easy to get focused on the event that's two months out and what it needs to look like. But it's very difficult to stay focused on the day to day and just taking the small step toward the next thing. And it's just like that on the trail. Like, so the trail is, you know, is as long as it is, but nothing you're going to do is going to cause you to skip ever how many miles it is from where you are to where you need to be to hit the finish line. All you really have control over in the moment is the next 10 steps, the next five steps, the next step, that little bit of, of visibility that you have when you put your head down and do the work. And knowing this, one of the things that I did was I put on a baseball hat and I pulled the bill down really low so that as we were climbing these hills and I knew I was going to be suffering, I would really have to make a huge effort to lift my head, to really crank my head back to see too far up the trail. And by doing that, I kept my, my field of vision low. I kept my field of vision no more than, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet out in front. And each time I wanted to quit, each time I wanted to stop or it got hard, I just kept saying 10 more feet you know, five more feet, 20 more feet, 
you know, go to that rock and go to that root, you know, go past that slippery rut right there. Whatever the thing was that allowed me to stay in the moment, you know, I just kept focused on that little thing that was in front of me. Because again, like if I don't pass that bit that's in front of me, the next eight miles don't matter. It do, they don't matter at all. So remembering that in the moment is a huge, huge driver and a, and a, and a tremendous help, especially when you're experiencing pain like that. A lot of things that I've read and a lot of things that I've, you know, sort of experienced crept into my mind. And and as it got difficult and more difficult toward the end, especially when my body started fatigued from the soreness from the previous day, um, my knees did start to go a little bit at the end in terms of, you know, not go out on me, but the, I get a lot of pain on the interior and exterior edges of the kneecap. And, um, you know, I'm still working through what the cause of that might be, whether I need to do more stretching or whatever the case may be. However, in the moment, it's something that I have to deal with regardless of what's going on. I just have to figure out a way to, to overcome it because there was no way I was leaving without both medals. You know, so in doing that and seeing people pass me and then um, or having someone pass me and not feel fresh or not feel capable, um, you know, I started to doubt my own physicality. You know, I'm a 46-year-old man. And, you know, obviously I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but by the same token, there are people out there my age getting the work done. You know, I, I couldn't tell you who, um, what, when, where, why. I could just tell you that there were people who looked like they were similar age to me, um, you know, going at my pace or passing me or at points I would pass them back. And anytime I would be passed up, I would start to wonder if there was something wrong with my body. My mind would start to say little things like, you know, you're not meant for this or your body isn't capable of creating the power that you need to get up to the top of this hill or to uh, accomplish this obstacle or to, you know, deal with this slippery situation or the discomfort that you're feeling. And one of the things that was really interesting was my mind started to tell me when people when when I would get past my mind started to tell me that. I had a hole in my heart, like you have a hole in your heart, <laughs> which is really kind of interesting because this is another Goggins thing from his book. He talked about how he ran all these races and then he came to find out later that uh, he had a hole in his heart or, or his heart was um, basically uh, malfunctioning in a way where it wasn't pumping blood properly. And so he wasn't getting the full benefit of the oxygen in his blood. And so my mind started to tell me there was a problem with my heart. There's a hole in your heart, like you're leaking, you're, you know, you're bleeding power, you're bleeding energy because your heart isn't pumping blood properly. And so it was really interesting to sort of play these mind games and, and deal with these things that would pop up and kind of slap you in the face. And uh, as I think back on it, I remember having to just rewrite that story. I just, I remember telling myself, you know, how to sort of hear that and then throw it back in my own face or in in the face of my mind, if you will, in a way that minimized it, right? So another technique when things start to hurt or you, you hear a crazy story or a story like that that can be deflating is you know where it comes from and you can give it a voice, right? So like it, my mind was telling me, oh, well, you have a hole in your heart. So I changed the voice to something like, oh, well, you have a hole in your heart. 
you know, something like that, something silly, something ridiculous, you know, something that would, you wouldn't pay any attention to if it came from someone on the street, but that, you know, could basically completely minimize the effect of that uh, in the moment so that you continue to keep moving. Because really, you know, at the end of the day, my goal was to come away from the weekend with two medals. It wasn't to be on the podium. I'm way too early in my development. I don't have enough reps in. I don't have the skill set. I haven't trained enough to actually even consider um, like an age group podium or a podium overall or anything along that line. Um, This is another story that, you know, I've been sort of dealing with most of my adult life, which is that I'm not a runner and that I don't do endurance events. So the fact that I'm taking all this stuff on uh, just gives my mind more and more more ammunition to throw at me. And it's been kind of funny to see those things crop up because, again, in coaching people and dealing with mindset, you hear all of these different things, you know, manifested themselves uh, in different ways and different voices and different words, but they all come down to the same thing. And that's basically, here's your opportunity to quit. Here's your opportunity to stay small. Here's your opportunity to, you know, remain the same. And nobody wants that, but so many people give into that, you know, and when you looked at the starting line uh, for this past weekend for the super and for the 10 K, uh, on these on these event days when the starting line should be full and there's three people in your group, that tells you right there that a lot of people chose just to stay home and stay who they were. And, you know, I had that opportunity too. I didn't have to go and do the race. You don't have to go and do a race. No one has to do anything difficult. But the reality of it is in those moments, you find out what character you're going to bring to that situation. You know, character is revealed by hard things. It's not something that you just decide you're going to wake up and be. You can decide you can wake up and be it, but you won't know until you're tested. And so one of the beautiful things about doing these hard things, especially when the elements are difficult like they were this past weekend, was finding out a little bit about myself. You know, and honestly, on the second day, after being so cold and so wet for so long, not being able to see and, you know, being sort of lost in this fog on the hill, um, I I came face to face with the, the reality that, that if this had been a beast, if this had been a 13 mile race, I probably would not have finished it, you know, so I probably would have thrown in the towel because I had just about been pushed to my limit by the time I had experienced the cold and the wet and just been miserable for the entire afternoon, rained on, you know, and all alone on the hill. And so it was really a cool thing to experience because now I know what to train through to get to that point, right? So now I know that the next time this rolls around, I've got at least a super in me. I've got that much done. I have the confidence of completing that. And the next time this rolls around and it's a a beast at 13 miles or an ultra beast at 30 miles, then I'll know for a fact that I can either push through to the next barrier or I can either fail. But I won't know what my limit is until I push past into that place where everything in me says no more, right? Everything in me just says no more. And that's just the way it works. And the beautiful thing about that is knowing that place, you can train for that place. So going into the last half of this month, we've got the Tahoe 
uh, beast coming up. Uh, a few of us from the gym are going and that's going to be 13 miles at elevation, another mountain race. There's going to be water. Chances are it won't be anywhere near as cold as this weekend, but it'll be uncomfortable. So it'll, it'll be an, it'll be a nice test. It'll be a nice little way of seeing, you know, if I learned anything about myself from this past, you know, weekend of not being a runner, not being a a hiker, not being a Spartan racer, at least in my head, to becoming that thing when I'm face to face with this next 13 miler. Because again, this will be the second attempt at a beast and the first one I failed, right? So all these races leading up between now and then have just been about gaining confidence. And the interesting thing is that when I look at my progress, the first thing that I do is I look to other people to see how they're doing, right? I go into that comparison mode by, you know, by default. This is something that we all do. And I have to remember that where I am in terms of races in my life at 46 years of age is I've done exactly six or seven Spartan races. That's it. Never run anything before, never run more than, you know, three to five miles at a time and certainly never did it over any sort of difficult terrain. So the distances may not sound all that difficult, you know, for especially for a runner. And today, you know, I went and I, I popped open Facebook and uh, uh, one of the guys that uh, is, is, is just a fantastic runner and a triathlete uh, on Facebook, his name's uh, Rick Steele. You should definitely check him out. He's doing some big things. He just committed to doing uh, seven, what, it, what was it? Seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Okay. So seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Right. And here I am worried about doing 13 miles one afternoon, you know, in a resort town. So, you know, there's the comparison where I can sit there and say, Oh, well, you know, this guy is so far ahead of me that I'll never get there. And who am I to even consider myself a runner or consider myself any sort of racer, you know, given the fact that this person is planning to do something so difficult that I, you know, I wouldn't even conceive of doing that. Or I can look at it like, this is where I am in my development. And it doesn't matter what someone else is doing because I can't run their race and they can't run mine, either in life, business or sport. So what I can do is really just focus on where I am in advancing to the next phase and the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. And in order to do that, that requires letting go of the ego piece, which is the comparison piece, right? There's no need for me to compare myself to someone who has been there, done that so many times or been there, done that and trained for that so many times that they're at a level where they believe that their skill set will allow them to do seven marathons in seven days, much less on seven different continents, you know? And so it comes back to that five feet at a time, 10 feet at a time, 20 feet at a time thing. But if we allow ego or comparison sickness to creep in, which is basically just a form of ego, then what happens is we see things like that and quit. Oh, well, you know, I can't be that person tomorrow. So why should I even try today? I can't be the, that person who, you know, like what was the guy on uh, Netflix, the Iron Cowboy show? You should definitely see that. You know, it's a great one. I'm getting sucked into all these running triathlon shows or whatever because, you know, I'm doing more running. But this guy did, uh, what was it, 50, 50 triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. So a triathlon every day. 
You know, I mean, just the logistics of working out the travel so that you could do that would be a full-time job, not to mention facing the elements and the physical demands. I mean, at one point in that show, I think he was even, like he was basically fell asleep on his bike and he was so tired, you know, not getting enough rest. And this is with a support team, a small support team, uh, you know, making sure that he had everything that he needed, um, you know, for most of the you know, for every one of his experiences for the most part. The only thing they couldn't control were the elements. And so, you know, at the end of the day, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to become? Well, we can't inter- internet ourselves, you know, we can't internet ourselves into being that thing. We can't look at a carefully curated sort of collection of images and ideas of someone else's life and say, well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. You know, we don't see all the work that went into creating that result, you know, like Rick doing the, the seven races that I mentioned earlier. Like, I don't know all the work that he's done. I've seen some of it because he's posted some of it, but he's been, I'm sure, doing this for years and put and he's put in, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps to have the confidence and the ability to be able to do something like that. And any one of us is capable of putting in the reps, putting in the work day in and day out to become something more bigger and better than we are today. That doesn't mean that it's going to happen tomorrow, next year, two years from now, or three years from now. I think I was listening to a interview with Coach Christopher Summers, who worked with the uh, U.S. National Gymnastics Team. And he was talking about how human potential in the gymnastics realm, it takes something like something like three years just to get proficient or or how did he word it? Like oh, this was like three years to get to eighty or ninety percent of your potential. So three years to get to eighty or ninety percent. And then obviously to go beyond that to get to, you know, even higher percentage of your potential requires such, such, such a greater such a greater time commitment that it's not even funny, right? But where we at in North America is, you know, if it doesn't happen tomorrow, if we're not insta-famous, if we don't suddenly instantly have the things that we say we want to have, you know, then it's just quit and go home. And that's just bullshit. That's, that's no way of being, thinking, or showing up in the world. And so for me, the journey that I'm on and the thing that I want to create is in and around this idea of expanding throughout life, not just through a certain port, uh, a certain part of, of, uh, of an age range or, you know, not just through a certain aspect of life, but throughout my life, period. So within my relationships, within my businesses, you know, within my mentality, my mindset, the way I see myself creating mastery around the things that I consider myself good at. These are all the things that I want to continue to grow and expand into. And I don't want to you know, leave this earth without having at least given an effort to creating or stepping into the best version of myself in all those aspects of life, you know, mind, body, spirit. And neither should you, you know, neither should you, neither should you settle for any sort of bullshit that life throws your way, you know, and for the longest time, you know, coming back to this idea of what it means to be a runner or a Spartan racer or a triathlete or a business person or a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or, you know, whatever the thing is that you say you want, the stories that you tell yourself, the stories that I tell myself will be the limit, will be the upper limit that I bump up against. And the reality is that our sensory perception of what's actually happening in the world is only a small fraction of what's actually happening in the world. We're only perceiving a small bit 
of what's happening all around us at all times. And then we take a small bit, we take a fraction of the information and we make up a story about it. And we assume that story is true and create a belief. And then that belief becomes the limiting factor, the governor, if you will, on our life. And that's bullshit. That's bullshit. So the biggest part of life or a big part of life, at least for me as an adult, is stepping into this place where I don't believe my bullshit. I don't believe what my mind is telling me until I've tested it, until I've tested it. I'm, if I invite someone to an event that I'm putting on, you know, there's a part of me that has fear in doing that. There's a part of me that has doubt. There's a part of me that says, who am I to want to invite someone to this event, right? Who am, who, who am I that they would say yes to? And the reality is that's just ego. That's ego creating separation, Right. But at the end of the day, if, the, if it's true and if you believe that we are all connected on some level, then that ego piece has to fall away. And it doesn't mean that people are going to just say yes and it's going to be easy. It just means that I shouldn't think of myself as less than. It means that you shouldn't think of yourself as less than. It means that when those stories come up, you don't ignore them, you acknowledge them, right? So I acknowledge that that's a part of me. I'm not, I don't run from it. I don't run from the fact that I have an ego that says, yeah, you can't run. You know, you can't be a good uh, endurance athlete. You can't do this. You can't do that. I don't, I don't shy away from that. I acknowledge it. But the, the flip side is rather than allow it to be the governing factor, rather than allow it to be what makes my decision, I do my best to act on my agency. So when that story pops up, there's a moment in time where I become aware of it and I have the ability to change what I do in that moment. That little fraction of space between when that thought appears, that belief appears, and I take action is called agency. And agency is where all masters live. That's where everyone who does anything constantly lives. Because the reality is everyone has fear. Everyone has doubt. Every single person in the world is experiencing some form of bullshit story right now as I speak. As you hear this, wherever you are in the world, you've heard some bullshit story from someone or you've allowed yourself to tell yourself some bullshit story. And you have a moment there between where you hear it and you act on it. And that is the magic piece, that little bit right there of agency, that little bit of control, that time to respond. That's the thing you really want to step into and own and, and, and use that piece to rewrite what you're doing in that moment so that your future looks different. And absent that, you have no chance in hell of doing anything different. And the problem with this is, that most people will give up their agency and allow the story to win. But the, but the flip side of that is where all the expansion is, where all the growth is, where all of the things that we all want to create that allow for us to step into more, bigger, and better really live. It's on the other side of acting in that moment of agency where you can really, truly make a choice for the thing that you want to create. And that's it. That is simply it, my friends. So as I sit here in this parking lot, uh, finalizing this podcast with you guys, I'm thinking about the distance that I've traveled from the beginning of the year to now. The beginning of the year, I had never run a race. 
of any kind. I'd never run, run a Spartan race of any kind. I'd never run more than a mile without stopping or two miles without stopping maybe out of just sheer, you know, necessity of sport. You know, if my coach made me do it for soccer or for football or whatever the case may be, it just had never done it. And today I sit seven, eight races in with, you know, seven, eight finishes under my belt and another six or eight races on the books for the rest of this year with plans to do three trifectas, not just one, and four races already signed up for in 2020. And the reason that that happened is because I choose not to believe that the story I told myself about being an endurance athlete is real. I choose to believe that that's a bullshit story that came to me out of some past experience that really has no bearing on what I want to create now. The reality is that story is never going away. It's never going away. The beliefs that you become aware of, they're never going away. You're never going to overwrite them. But what you can do is you can dance with them. So when that thought comes into my head and the next race rolls around and it's longer than the last one, it's a 13 miler and then then it's the 30 miler and all the other ones that I'm going to end up doing, you know, when that thought crops up, then I have the ability to dance with it because I know it's there. I know it's coming and I can use that moment of agency to make a better decision in the moment. And so for those of you guys listening and out there and you want to create something great in your life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business, whatever the thing is that you want, I just want to challenge you guys to step into that bit between the thought and the act and let that be your magic moment where you really choose to make your life the life that you want it to be. With that said, guys, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off. Take care.